Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Golf Course Industry Editor-in-Chief Guy Cipriano, and this is episode number 37 of the Greens with Envy podcast, and we're recording this on Valentine's Day, and I'm sitting in our Northeast Ohio studios with somebody that I love dearly, Aww. our managing editor, Matt Lowell. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Happy Valentine's Day, Guy. Do you like Valentine's Day? Is this one of your favorite holidays? It's fine. Yeah. You know who loves it is is my five-and-a-half-year-old. She wore a pink dress and red tights and had a red bag, and she handmade all her Valentines for the rest of her class. She painted them three colors and cut them out into hearts and hand-wrote everything. She loves Valentine's Day. I think if you're a, a young girl, you love it, and, and then there's a period of your life where you don't care, and then there's a period of your life when you have to care. The creativity that young girls show in their Valentines is unmatched by maybe nearly any creativity we see in society, Matt. I don't know if I'd go that far, but there there is a, a level of care that you don't see in other areas, for sure. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Valentine's Day. Although, go get your chocolate. By the time this drops, tomorrow, Tuesday, go get your half-off chocolate at uh, at your preferred drugstore. That gives me an idea. I should make a discount drug mart run tomorrow, Matt. <laughs> yeah, saves you the runaround. You'll find everything you need. That's a local uh, drugstore chain for those that are wondering what the heck we're talking mm. about. Uh, fortunately, on this episode, you're going to be hearing from Matt. Usually, you hear too much of me on this. This is all about Matt mm. and where he's been lately. Matt's been on the show circuit. He just got back from San Diego last Friday. Friday. Took a red eye. He was at the GCSAA Conference and Trade Show. And real quick, we always used to call it GIS. I have heard from two people. Now, the GCSAA isn't condoning this yet, but I've heard from two people that they're trying to make a new acronym, GCATS, the GCSAA Conference and Trade Show, GCATS. I like that. GCATS sounds like a <laughs> golf course architecture software program. It kind of does. I like it. Anyway, Matt, let's get right to it. What was the vibe like in San Diego? Everybody I've talked with, either... At the show on the floor, at the show around San Diego, or DMs or phone calls since then, everybody has acknowledged, yes, obviously attendance was down. I think it was about 6,500 total, and the booths were somewhere between three and 350 compared to, what, in Orlando, I think it was 12,000 and about 500. So the numbers were down. There were obviously fewer people there. There are always fewer people when you go to the West Coast and, and California is expensive and there were COVID restrictions and, and all this other stuff. But the quality of the content and the quality of the contact at that show, I don't think you lost anything in terms of what you talked about once you actually got face-to-face -face with people. And I think a lot of people in the industry really valued being able to see a lot of people face-to-face -face for the first time in, in two years. It was it was a quieter show, but that does not mean it was a lesser show for the people who were actually there. What were most of your conversations about? What were the topics people were discussing in San Diego? Well, I think the topics that I was discussing were different than the topics that maybe superintendents were discussing. I was going around with mostly Russ Warner, our national sales manager, talking with various companies about uh, – story ideas, and, and Russ was obviously talking about advertising. But whenever I talked with somebody 
on the maintenance side of the industry, somebody who's not writing for a living. You know, obviously labor, as always, was was top of mind. New products uh, to a lesser degree. I think a lot of it was just boiling down to um, really just catching up and and seeing how other people were doing. It's one thing to get on social media, especially Twitter, and trade messages or trade DMs. It's another to just have those conversations. Um, one interesting point, I was talking with a superintendent in Kansas this morning who did attend, and he pointed out that he went to two education sessions. One was two hours and one was four hours. And he's been in the industry for quite a while. And he can remember education sessions that lasted a day and a half. And now, you know, four hours you come out and, and you're pretty well filled in. Your brain's not quite scrambled, but you're you're pretty well filled in on a topic. And he thinks that because there is so much online discussion that those education sessions can really come down in length where you can do four hours rather than 12. And that affords you the opportunity to do other things at the show, like maybe golf or go out to dinners or have more conversations. It frees you up for other activities while you're out there. It's funny that you should mention Russ Warner's name Mm. because Greens with Envy is our only regular podcast series that doesn't have a sponsor right now. So That's I guess true. people don't want to be associated with you and I, Matt. But anyway, uh. if you're interested in having your company's name read on here, uh, contact Russ, rwarner at gie.net. Not just read on here. You'd have your logo on the title card. You would have your social media handles in every post about the episode. So it's not just not just us saying, hey, if you have this problem, turn to X. And anyway. Matt and I would do it in a fun way because, Matt, remember our car mm-hmm. ride back from the 2019 Carolinas GCSA conference and show? I do. It was 10 hours. All the we... podcast reads we did. That probably killed about an hour and a half of our trip. At least mostly through West Virginia. Anyway, Matt, what products did you see there fascinated you? And what were companies really promoting in your visits with them? Before anything else, I have to mention Bunker Wizard because we were right by the Bunker Wizard booth and they had the big ceiling sign that was kind of like a beacon. Whenever I got turned around, I could look for the Bunker Wizard sign and I knew that if I walked toward it, I'd be right back to our booth. Uh, and I know a lot of people are down on on uh, Bunker Rakes. It is kind of a cool technology. I like I like what they... Uh, They've they've turned out and they had a very interactive display with two two basically sandboxes that you could rake all day. I think they had to vacuum at the end of every day. They had so much sand on the floor. Uh there was a lot of electric. There's a lot of electric. And we did a package on turf tech most recently, right before the pandemic. I think it was the March twenty twenty issue, and we just haven't had a chance to go back to tech. People have been talking about other things since then. This year, I think, really is a turn to electric. All the major manufacturers, all the major equipment manufacturers, you can fill in the blanks there, had extensive electric uh, at their booths. And it feels like this is the real push. And I was watching the Super Bowl a little bit last night. We got our daughter to bed late, so Carolyn and I really skipped most of the game, and we caught the commercials, and she wanted to watch the halftime show, and then we saw like the last three or four minutes of the game, which it's a good finish. Uh, there were a lot of electric car ads 
There was Polestar. There was Kia. There was Chevy. I don't remember who else. Uh, Tesla didn't have a commercial. But there are more electric car commercials than I remember seeing in one go. And it is interesting that, you know, everywhere you turn now, now is the electric push. I feel like we're at that tipping point. If we're at that tipping point for consumer vehicles, we're certainly at or past that tipping point for industry vehicles as well. So I think you're only going to see more and more electric. And that was, in terms of what was on the floor, that was probably my biggest takeaway in terms of just a lot of electric machinery uh, and big machinery uh, being out on the floor and being kind of sold and marketed to people. So a bit of a tease here. Yeah. While you were in San Diego running, like literally you were running right. around like crazy, I was back here in Northeast Ohio doing some plotting and planning for all of our platforms and for our listeners that want to know more about electric equipment, mm-hmm. stay tuned. We have something coming down the road. I'm not going to give away too many details because they are top secret mm. content <laughs> secrets. But it'll be something that we'll be looking at here in 2022. I haven't even seen this plan yet. So, hey, by the time this airs, maybe I'll know it. But but as as we're recording this, I know as much as you do, dear listener. Matt, what did the trade show floor look like? I know it was smaller and more compact. Mm-hmm. Kind of describe the layout and the sights on it. Well, I had not been to any trade show in that building in the San Diego Convention Center since probably 20... 15 or 16, and that was not a golf show. Was it Comic-Con? It was not. No, no. It was uh, when I was covering manufacturing, and uh, I forgot how just long that building is. Like, it was the, the floor wasn't very deep. It was maybe, I don't know, maybe six booths deep, seven booths deep from the front entrance to the back wall, but it was very wide, very, very long and narrow, and I never clocked it, but it had to have been... It had to have been half a mile, if not more, from one end of the floor to the other. So you could wander around, and I wandered around a little bit. Didn't have a ton of time. Uh, but the layout, I don't know, it, it felt like most any other trade show. You had your, your big booths. They were kind of the anchors in the center. And you had your smaller companies with, with uh, fewer points <laughs> on the outer edges, including us. Um I don't know, it, it just it felt like a good mix. It didn't feel that dissimilar, honestly, from Orlando. Just a little smaller and, and, and a little different layout. But if you were in Orlando or any of the previous years, uh, it, it's a trade show. And, and to be clear here, this was Matt's second national trade show in the golf industry. Right, he started right. on April 2nd, 2019. 2019. Yeah. So he yeah. went to the 2020 show in Orlando. There obviously wasn't one in 2021. Not in person, no. And he went this year. Matt, did you track your steps in San Diego? I did. I did. And Irene Sweeney, one of our invaluable uh, team members, noticed that I was limping around because I was wearing my Vans. Had to look cool, not the most practical shoes. Um, I got there on Sunday. Monday, because I played around with some folks, uh, just a little nine-hole short course that you'll read more about later. Monday was, and I ran every day too, Monday was 12.4 miles, 23,784 steps, 
Tuesday was 9.3 miles, 16,502 steps. Wednesday was the Syngenta Health in Action 5K, which was beautiful, right along the water. Probably could have started at 7, started at 7.30. It was fine. It worked out. 12.01 miles, 19,775 steps. And Thursday, I was a relative slacker, uh, and it was only a half day of the trade show. 7.34 miles and 12,861 steps. I don't know what that works out to. What was the scene like at the 5K? There were, I think the bib numbers were up almost to 200. I don't remember how many people were running. There's a good group. There's always a good group. And you, you get people who are already passionate about their industry, also passionate about a sub-interest like running. Uh, it, was a, it was a good, dedicated group. I'm trying to remember who I saw. Definitely saw Mark LaFleur. Um, saw some folks from Epic Creative like Scott Cavelli. I actually saw Dr. Frank Wong. Uh, and now we're Strava buddies, or I don't know if he follows me, but I now follow him and I like his, his run posts. It was, it was enthusiastic and it's hard to get up that early and not be energetic when you literally get to run for 20 or 30 minutes along the water. I mean, we ran the entire course. Uh, I think it was a Marina. Uh, it was, it was on, on the water, you know, a little bit of running into the sun, had to blink back a little bit, but perfect morning. Had bananas at the end. Uh, had some water at the end, and then you uh, you get ready for the show and off to day two. It was I love that event. I I, I love any five k, and I'm trying to run at least one five k every month this year, and that was my February one. But uh, you know, I hope Syngenta does that event every year. I think it uh, it adds a lot for at least a couple hundred people. For those of us that know Matt. They know that we're not the type of person that you'll see pictures of in the magazine slamming beers with other people in the industry. Mm. But, Matt, when you were walking around at night, what was the the night scene like in San Diego? You know, we just – we had our dinners pretty scheduled out. The one thing I was surprised by, we went to – what was it called? Puesta? Puesto? Uh, It was a Mexican place, taco place. They did last call at nine. Like, they closed at 9 o'clock. That's a labor thing, and that's happening. It is, it is. All over the country. Yeah. I was a little surprised that stuff closed as early as it did, just because San Diego was a pretty big downtown. There's a lot of people who live in downtown San Diego, in or near the Gaslamp Quarter, and in or near the, uh, near, not in, the convention center. Uh, it's not like downtown Cleveland, where I think the population is like twelve or 15,000, and everybody lives out in the suburbs. There were a lot of people out, but yeah, I think labor did take a, a bite out of that just because places couldn't stay open as late. Now, if you were out 6 or 7 or 8 o'clock, uh, it felt pretty healthy. I don't really have anything to compare it to, like when there's a, a Padres game going on because the Petco Park is, is right there. But it felt healthy. Everything was open. There were very few empty storefronts that I saw. What type of people did you see walking around the trade show floor? Was it an older crowd, younger crowd, a mix? Describe the the faces you saw. Well, for starters, because I was at the SFMA conference and show in Savannah a couple weeks before. For our listeners that aren't familiar with Sport, this. Sports Field Management Association, the former Sports Turf Managers Association. Now, SFMA used to be STMA. That really is a much younger, I think on average, association in terms of its members. So in terms of the SFMA, it was definitely older. They were, I mean, you had your, you had your legends, 
I saw a lot of the big names, but there were a lot of folks I didn't know, and there were a lot of younger faces. I mean, on average, I don't know, 40s, mid-40s probably, the average age. I definitely saw some students. Uh, Drew Miller, one of our favorites, the head of uh, Brentsville District High School's Turf Grass Tigers program, uh, saw him at SFMA as well. And he had his high school kids there, but at GCATS, we're going to make this happen. At GCATS, he had, I think, seven or eight alums who are now at various colleges, mostly Virginia Tech. Uh, they'd made the trip out, and, and it was good to see college students. There were maybe, I think there were probably about 20, maybe 22 schools involved in the Turf Bowl, and I should remember who won, and I don't, and I apologize. Purdue won. Winners. Thank you. There we go. Go Boilermakers. Second year in Boiler. a row. I remember posting that news okay. release on Friday. Um, Boiler up. Uh, congrats to Purdue. Uh, but there were yeah, probably about 20, 22 schools represented in some capacity there, and that, that felt pretty healthy. Um, I didn't see as many students as I thought I would see, but in terms of average age, yeah, I mean, there is your typical variety. I don't, it didn't feel any different than a couple of years ago in terms of who was there on average. What were the booths like? Were they over the top with swag and promotional items or were they pretty modest? There were a variety of hats, as you would expect. I know somebody walked out with seven or 10 hats. That was pretty good. Not me. Somebody took a took a photo. A lot of pens. Not as many squishy balls. And I was ordered to not pick up any squishy balls by my wife because I'd picked up nine squishy balls between the Carolina show and SFMA for for our kid. And uh, she didn't want any more in the house. One of the nicest giveaways, and I won't say what company gave this away. It was one of the big ones. Was a USB rechargeable headlamp. And I think this was if you had a booth visit. Uh, you didn't just get this by going going past it. Uh, and another big name gave away a leather scorecard holder. But as a night runner and walker, I actually picked up one of those rechargeable USB headlamps, and I'm going to use the heck out of that uh, moving forward. That's a very practical giveaway. Well, it's especially practical for people that work in golf course maintenance and are oh, sometimes yeah. Absolutely. Working in the night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I'm out on the roads and I'm trying not to get hit by cars. But, yeah, if you're on a couple hundred acres and you need to see things in the dark, yeah, absolutely. No. So that was that was a very practical gift uh, swag for everybody, I feel like. Arguably my, my favorite giveaway of the week. But, again, don't play favorites. I'm not going to say who gave that away. Who was somebody that you had not met before last week that you met last week that was super interesting? Hmm. That's a good question because I feel like so many of the meetings were with folks who had already had a previous relationship with to some point. Um, hmm. You physically – I should have made notes. You physically met a talented writer who you never met in person well, that's before. That's true. That's true. I, I did meet in the flesh our, our longtime contributor, Judd Spicer, who – you know, he's been on the podcast with me. I was on – his podcast and his old radio show. I've DM'd him again and again and again, so I feel like I know him. But you're right. I, I had never actually met him, and so we did have lunch one day, and, and uh, it's good to finally talk shop with him. He's, he's, a, he's a cool cat. Fun fact, from Minnesota and the old Metrodome, I believe is the only building to have ever hosted a World Series, a Super Bowl, and an NCAA men's final four. 
and it did all three of those in a six-month stretch in 1991 and 92. And Judd was at two of those three events, but he wasn't at the World Series. He wound up going to a Super Bowl and a Final Four, and he was maybe in his early high school years. So there's a little bit of trivia for you. That's a lifetime for some people. Right, and he did it in two and a half months, two months, probably two months. Last Monday, you did get away from the convention center and went to a golf mm-hmm. course. Tell our listeners about that experience. Well, and you'll read more about it in the magazine, I think in May, in the May issue. Uh, but the Loma Club is this old military course. It's maybe four miles from the convention center, so not close enough to walk, but a very quick Uber ride or, or taxi ride. And just just up up a ways a little bit from downtown San Diego, very comfortable. And the kind of nine-hole course, nine-hole public course you could buy an annual membership, but the kind of course where there are lots and lots of characters uh, and a very comfortable place. I was out there for – I was probably on the grounds for five hours. I actually was there so long. We bought lunch. I forgot I bought lunch. And I left my credit card there till the next day, and I had to go back and get it. I haven't done that in a long there time. There are worse places to leave your credit card than a golf course. Yeah. Um, but they've added to this 100-plus-year-old nine-hole short course, which is a nice little layout in the in the middle of downtown, very urban. Uh, they've added two miniature golf courses, and they're building up a uh, restaurant and a clubhouse as well. Again, on this old military compound. So the buildings are all very similar. It has this old school feel you get up on i believe it was was it five or six and you just see this beautiful uh view of the skyline you do unfortunately have the airport between you and the skyline the airport is huge in san diego but all the pieces are there it's just such a comfortable comfortable little spot you could literally go there and spend all day you could wear t-shirts jeans. I saw a lot of yoga pants. There were a lot of dogs. I lost track of how many dogs were on the course, at least a half dozen while we were there, maybe more. Dogs sniffing other dogs, of course. And it's everything that golf can be moving forward in terms of opening up doors and breaking down fake walls and and just bringing in more and new golfers to this game. Um, Again, you'll read more about this in the May issue but I feel like the Loma Club really has a template for uh, or a blueprint for bringing in more folks to the game who may not have played recently or at all. And that's a discussion for a whole another podcast, but I would say that that is what golf is becoming. And anyone that watched the now the WM, the Phoenix WM. Open <laughs> this weekend knows that it's changing. But anyway... What do you think the future of the big trade show in the golf industry is? I think next year is the real measuring post. And I was saying this even before I left San Diego, because next year is back in Orlando. Orlando was the last GIS, GCATS, national, before the start of the pandemic. So I feel like geographically, the people who went in 20 are more likely to attend in 23 both in terms of individuals and companies. It's a little easier to get to. Orlando's a little less expensive than San Diego. I feel like go next year, get the numbers, 
both attendance and booths and other stuff, and compare 23 to 20. And if there's a huge drop-off then, then maybe you really think about the future of trade shows. But if 2023 is similar in number to 2020, and I think there's really, you, you can you can change certain things about it, but I don't think you need to overhaul it. But if we get through 23 and attendance and booth counts are next year what they were this year, that's when I think you really have to reimagine the trade show. This was your second show and conference in a three-week stretch. Mm-hmm. You also went to Savannah for the SFMA. I'm still getting used to saying the F2. Event. Yeah. Describe your experience in Savannah and what you learned there. So I talked with a longtime turf pro at GCATS about SFMA because he went to his first SFMA this year as well. And he had heard, being a longtime golf guy, you know, 30-plus years working at a fairly high level in this industry and, and longer overall, he had heard that the sports field side of the industry was maybe 10, 15, 20 years behind on education. His overall impression was that it's not. It's a lot closer to golf than maybe it was even just a few years ago. It's a lot younger portion of the industry, and there are a lot more women in higher positions. And he was really impressed. And looking back at that show, those were probably my interpretations as well. We went a couple of years ago when that show was in West Palm Beach, and we didn't go to the education. But in terms of our conversations with other people, the conversations then were that the education for sports fields was way behind what golf was. And I don't know if that gap has narrowed really quickly in the last few years or if we just misinterpreted it. But it feels like that gap has narrowed. Uh, it does feel like it's younger. It does feel like there are more women and other. The only thing really is that there is less money. There's still a lot more money in golf to the point where I'm surprised there weren't more superintendents at the SFMA show really just from a recruiting perspective because you get all these young folks who are relatively underpaid and you can offer them more on a golf course than they can probably make on a sports field until that narrows. I will be a little surprised if there aren't more golf folks trying to recruit from that part of the industry. Yeah. We have assistant golf course superintendents who make as much, if not more than um, people in the highest level of the sports field profession. Yeah. I mean, major leagues, a little better compensated, but, you know, there there are there are AAA and, and AA folks who handle 140 plus games a year and lots of other events who are at the very top of what they do, and they make less than fifty five sixty thousand dollars a year. I mean, it's they're they're ridiculously underpaid, and, and that's going to change moving forward, especially in baseball, because Major League Baseball basically owns every aspect of the minors now, and they're trying to standardize the quality of the fields and and what's put on the fields and the equipment used on the fields. And the more responsibility you put on sports field managers, the more they're going to be paid. And that's going to, if you pay them more, that will bring up the salaries of everybody in the industry. That's not here yet. It's coming, but it's not here yet. They're still very underpaid. Last thing here before we let you get back to non-show life. Did you wear your yoga pants to the Loma Club? 
you got me pegged, guy. You know I look good in yoga pants. I got a nice butt. No, I didn't. I wore, I wore, uh, I think I wore my green jeans. He's golf course industry managing editor and non-yoga pant wearing human being, Matt Bowell. I'm editor-in-chief Guy Cipriano. If you enjoyed Greens with Envy, we got a bunch of other podcasts. Mm. We have Off the Course, and Matt just recorded the most recent episode yep. before he hopped on the air. That'll be here next week. Yep. We have Tartan Talks. I recorded that episode last Thursday, and that's already uploaded and ready to go. We have Beyond the Page, which dropped last week. We have Real Turf Text, which drops the third Wednesday of every month, hosted by Trent Manning. Let's have some fun. And we also have Wonderful Women of Golf by Rick Wolfel that drops the first Thursday every month. So that's a half dozen podcasts right. now that we have monthly. So It's a lot to keep straight. Uh, download them wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we appreciate everybody who listens, and we know a lot of you are listening based on the feedback that we are getting in just conversations. And we also have a print magazine, a newsletter, a Twitter feed, a Facebook feed, and a website. Right. If, if you want to consume even more golf course industry. If you want to read digital content, golfcourseindustry.com. You can also subscribe to the magazine there. Uh, golfcourseindustry.com slash magazine is where all the issues are available, and you can sign up for free on our website. The email newsletter, you go to the website, you put in your email, you get that in your inbox every Tuesday, usually late morning, early afternoon. And I think, oh, and 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 uh, Twitter, at GCI Magazine. There we go. It's like 19,000 followers almost now. And we'll be back next month with another episode of Greens with Envy. I will be going to, geez, nine Nevada golf courses <laughs> here in two weeks. I don't know how you, I don't know how you cram this many courses. I will be going to Providence for the New England Regional Turfgrass Foundation conference and show. But, Matt, it was great to have you back here in the office. Thanks for everything you did in San Diego and Savannah. Week. And thanks to everybody for listening.